Hey, welcome, welcome. Thanks so much for tuning in. This is On My Mind with Ray Perez. I am your humble correspondent, Ray Perez. I appreciate you guys tuning in and welcoming me into your living rooms. We have uh, quite a bit to unpack for you today. We have news coming hot off the Twitter press that actually everybody's been talking about. We're going to get into a bunch of stuff today. And some of the stuff we're going to get actually going to get into, stuff that doesn't actually affect us here specifically, but all across the world in Ukraine and Russia. If you guys have not been listening to the news, Russia threatens to invade Ukraine and Joe Biden deploys over 8,000 troops to Europe. And many on the right don't like that. The populist right don't like that. We're going to actually talk about that and what that actually means. Because I think when we talk about what's happening in, in, uh, in global politics, some people just say, I, I don't really care. I just want to talk about why my taxes are so high. I want to talk about why I why it's why it costs me so much to pay for gas. But there is also indirect consequences to what is happening in our geopolitical sphere across the globe. We're going to get into that. And you know, I think some of the populism on the right it's like a cousin to the left, the progressive left. I'm going to tell you guys what that is momentarily. Also, too, in the did you see that? I actually meant to get into this in my last episode of my podcast. And the Pope says something right for a change. He gets off of his virtue, signal, virtue signaling progressive throne and actually says something Catholic for once. And we'll get into that in just a moment. But the one thing I actually want to talk about that's been on almost every single news channel, it's been trending on Twitter, the Russia, Vladimir Putin, threatens to invade Ukraine. And many of you guys have been wondering why that matters. And there's actually some, con some conservatives, some populists, self-proclaimed populists, that are almost saying that whoever wants the U.S. going into Russia... It's like we're going going into Ukraine to deploy troops to prevent Russia from taking on a country that has no geographic benefit. We are just a bunch of war hawks, and we need to just focus on our respective borders. We need to only figure out what our issues are here, and whatever's going on in other countries, that doesn't matter to us. There's a lot of talks, for example, there's talk like this from Tucker Carlson. He had a bit the other day that was his bit went along the lines of there's no reason for us to go there. He also played a clip of Democrats and Republicans from the left to Dan, Dan Crenshaw on the right saying that we are, we should be as a nation being, we should go to Ukraine and defend that country and prevent the, and prevent Russia from invading the Ukraine. Well, why is Russia going into Ukraine? Joshua Yafia over at the New Yorker explains, for Putin, Ukraine seems to be keen, and not because he dreams of resurrecting the Soviet Union or enlarging the territory of modern-day Russia by force. Rather, Ukraine presents an opportunity for Russia, once and for all, to reassert its geopolitical relevance. As Putin sees it, only the threat of war can reopen a conversation. That, to many in the West, has long felt the settled history. The expansion of NATO eastward, the denial of a Russian veto on questions of regional security, he continues, and the underlying sense that Russia lost the Cold War. If Ukraine joins NATO or drawn into a de facto military alliance with it, then Putin projects has failed. What then? Putin's project has failed. If Ukraine is kept from doing so, Putin has fulfilled his historical role. 
But the question that people want to ask is why? Like, why should we care? And the question is, if you look back at history from the World War, from the Cold War, it's not why did it happen? It should have been what should we have done to prevent it? And I know that there's a lot of isolations out there that says whatever's going on in the world shouldn't affect us. We shouldn't lose troops in other countries. We need to worry about here our borders. But the problem that we are actually seeing is, is that Joe Biden is a doormat. And the reason why I say he's a doormat is because he shows weakness, the failure in Afghanistan. And you have to see Russia. Russia, whether do you see Russia as an ally or do you see Russia as an adversary? To keep our adversaries at bay, we need to show strength. And if we don't show strength, countries like like Russia, they're going to take land incrementally. Do you want Ukraine five to 10 years down the line? Or excuse me, do you want Russia five to 10 years down the line to grow incrementally? Do you want them to be a stronger country? Do you want them to not only become a stronger country, but become allies with China? Donald Trump, Donald Trump's breakthrough agreements in the Middle East through peace, not war. That's kind of like a that's that's the verbiage of liberalism yesteryear. And Shumel Rosner over at NBC News writes, Trump deserves a Nobel Peace Prize for Israel Bahrain UAE deal. It's more than what Obama did. These agreements are bold, decla bold declarations that a broader Arab-Israeli conflict no longer exists. And the reason why I bring this up is you bring a contrast between a president who, who does preemptive work, who does deterrence, deterrence through peace. So the question is, is why did we get to where we are? It's because our president, Joe Biden, has shown to, to, to be weak on a global scale. Trump's record on Russia is stronger, is stronger than Obama's. Scott Horsley over at M NPR writes, Trump sought to add $1.4 billion for fiscal year 2018 to the European Deterrence Initiative, a military effort to deter Russian aggression that was initially known as a European Reassurance Initiative. That's a 41% increase from the last year of the Obama administration. The president also agreed to send lethal weapons to Ukraine, a step that Obama resisted. And Trump gave U.S. forces in Syria way more leeway to engage with Russian troops. You don't want to fight your enemies when they are big. You want to fight them when they're small. World War II, for example, Ben Shapiro actually talked about this on his podcast the other day. Leading up to World War II, in terms of military and, their, and the money spent, the, U the money that the U.S. spent on their military was ranked 19th, just below the Philippines. And that was the time when the U.S. took an isolationist approach. They didn't meddle in other people's business overseas. They didn't care what the Japanese were doing. They didn't care what Germany was doing. And then lo and behold, you see the attack on Pearl Harbor. So isolationists are isolationists until they're not. Also, after the Cold War, and see, a lot of this people forget. They don't care. 
Because World War II happened over 60 years ago. The Cold War happened over 40 years ago. So you have a new generation that they don't care how we got here. Just leave us alone. Don't launch troops anywhere else. But yet we have troops. We have over 15,000 troops in Italy. We have 3,500 troops in Germany. But yet that's okay. In Afghanistan, when we did have troops there, there wasn't, there wasn't a combat war, a combat death in over two and a half years. Leaving Afghanistan, right now there's over 100 U.S. Milita US military, or U uh, there's over 100 U.S. personnel stuck in Afghanistan right now. That signals to your adversaries that the U.S. is weak. And while the U.S. is taking this isolationist approach that we just need to worry about our borders, we need to worry about keep our troops here. Because when people join the Air Force, when they join the military, they don't say, I'm going to join the military because I want to go to Tennessee. No one says that. And while we have this idea that we need to protect our own borders, you think our adversaries are taking the same approach? Hell no. China wants to gain as much traction as they can just recently, which we're going to get into just momentarily. They just, they just flew 39 bombers over Taiwan. You have Russia trying to create an incursion in Ukraine. And it's the here and the now. That's what progressivism is, right? Healthcare for all, the here and the now. Like, like right now, it sounds good right now. That's a lot of these pro hope and change. Hope and change how? That's a, that's a feeling for now, but how do you get to that five to 10 years down the road? China flew, as I was saying, another 39 war, another 39 warplanes over Taiwan. China flew 39 warplanes over Taiwan in its largest such sort of news amid tensions over the self-ruled island's future and the U.S. pushes to assert presence in the region. The Chinese formation Sunday night included 24 J-16 fighter jets and 10 J-10 jets, among others among other support and electronic warfare aircraft, according to Taiwan's defense ministry. You look at Joe Biden and you see somebody who's weak. You, he's weak at home. He's weak on the global scale. Just in, Jan, just in early December, December 6th, Joe Biden and Vladimir Putin had a meeting. If you look back in 2017, when Kim Jong-un was threatening to launch missiles on the island of Guam, where my family's from, just a few months later, Trump and President Trump and Kim Jong-un met. And what happened from that, after those four, what happened from that meeting, you saw tensions ease. But the opposite is happening with this president. Military families are being told to leave Ukraine. And the purpose was, it's not about... Are, why are we sending 8,000 troops? The question should be, why weren't we doing any type of deterrence leading up to this? The president has to be intimidating. If you come across weak, they're going to they're gonna walk all over you like a doormat. You have troops in other countries, like I said, in Germany, in Italy, in Japan, in, on Guam. There's, there's military troops all over the world. It's because you have to exert yourself as a power, not just because I'm I'm strong and mighty. 
but you need to have Western civilization because you want to trade. You want other countries to be stronger. You don't want this oligarch like you see in Europe with Russia taking chunks of land. The more chunks of land that you give up little by little, whether it has a geographic um, uh, like a, a geographic benefit to the United States, the more they take, the more they want to be stronger than you. The more that you're like, I want to be isolationist. I only want to worry what's on my borders. I only want to worry about what's at home. Your adversaries are not doing the same thing. You're an, isol you're an isolationist until you're not. Another thing. China has been, as I was saying, flying airplanes, fighter jets over Taiwan. Well, in Taiwan, semiconductors come from Taiwan. We have a vested interest there. In a piece called The World is Dangerously Dependent on Taiwan for Semiconductors, as China pushes the world to avoid official dealings with Taiwan, leaders across the globe are realizing just how dependent they've become on the island democracy. Taiwan, with China regards as a province, is being courted for its capacity to make leading-edge computer chips. That's mostly down to Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Company, the world's largest foundry and go-to producer of chips are Apple Inc., smartphones, artificial intelligence, and high-performance computing. All of this in Taiwan. You're probably watching this on an Apple device. China takes over Taiwan. Your iPhones are probably going to get more expensive, or you may not even get them. So yes, we do have a vested interest there. You want more? We would want more countries to be what to be Westernized, not become more like Russia. I want to go to break real quick. When we come back, I want to finish this up on my mind. Did you see that? The Pope says something right for a change. We'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to the you're listening to On My Mind with Ray Perez. Hey, welcome, welcome. Thanks so much for tuning in. I appreciate you guys listening in. So the Pope actually said something right for a change, and I was actually kind of surprised. So I've been a big critic of Pope Francis, I'm a practicing Catholic, cradle Catholic. Um, I, I try to go to mass as much as I can. I practice the whole shebang. And some of my criticisms on Pope Francis is he's been critical of capitalism and the confusion that that Pope Francis intertwines with actual capitalism is he confused capitalism with cronyism. He comes from, I believe, uh, Argentina. He was there during the time where they went from a democracy to communist communism, and during a four-year span, democracy was going in and out, and it was forged with the government where the government— there was a lot of corruption in Argentina where Pope Francis is, so he believes that capitalism should have, should have a muzzle on it. But what, what he's really talking about, and he misses he misses the ball on this, it's cronyism, where the government comes in and props up businesses that should be fading away because they don't operate, but, the, but these businesses stay there because the government is propping them up. Or him being lenient with, the pre, with President Joe Biden and allowing him to take communion when Joe Biden, 
as president and Catholic, he's pro-choice. There are five non-negotiables in the Catholic faith, and one of them is abortion. And the Pope is the one who's supposed to be at the forefront of Catholicism, and he's not. But he finally says something that I actually agree with, and I'm actually going to get into this on a lot of people that I've been around as, as, an, as a former Uber driver. I'm going to tell you why I see this a lot. So the Pope says something right for a change. Okay. So the Pope, Pope Francis criticizes people who choose to have pets instead of children. Caitlin O'Kane over at CBS writes, Pope Francis criticized people who decided not to have children, but have pets instead. The Pope was speaking to a general audience on Wednesday when he returned, when he turned his sermon to fatherhood. And the Pope says, we have so many children without fathers and the challenges of this in society today, we notice, Pope Francis said. Fathers are not born, but made. A man does not become a father by bringing a child into the world, but by taking up the responsibility to care for that child. He used the example of Joseph, who brought up Jesus, and parents who choose to adopt children. Okay, so I'm going to cut in here real quick. Look, there has been, and I and I saw when he made this comment about a week ago, that the liberal progressives, one of my friends came in and said, well, well, the Pope doesn't really have authority to speak on this because, you know, it, he needs to handle the molestation in the Catholic Church. Fact check, true. Yes, I do blame Pope Francis. I think there's credible sources that there are credible reports that allegedly Pope Francis, he swept some sexual misconduct allegations under the rug. And that, that that's all true. I get that. Anybody in the Catholic church that is accused of sexual misconduct needs to have the book thrown at them to the fullest extent of the law. Fact check true. But the thing with that though, is you can still speak about fatherhood and having children at the same time of addressing molestation and sexual misconduct. But it's not only in the Catholic Church. The problem that I have with progressives is they only talk about sexual misconduct when it benefits their ideology. What I mean by that is you never hear a progressive talking about, about sexual misconduct in public schools. There's a stat out there that of children in 8th grade through 11th grade, about 3.5 million students, nearly 7% surveyed, reported having had physical sexual contact from an adult, most often a teacher or a coach. And mo more often than not, that teacher or that coach is a married adult straight male. The type of physical contact ranged from unwanted touching of their body all the way to sexual intercourse. So 3.5 million students in the in public schools have reported sexual misconduct 3.5 million that's a lot the associated press writes over 330,000 kids sexually abused worldwide in the catholic church bad 330,000 that's 330,000 too many but to have to for me to take you seriously as a progressive you need to talk about all forms of sexual misconduct all of them. I wanted to cover that because I know that's like a topic of conversation, right? So the Pope said, while having a child is a risk, it's a bigger risk not to have them. He said many children in the world are waiting for someone to take care of them. 
So adoption should be considered, even if it is difficult. Look, here, here's what I want to add to that is what he's not saying. Look, I'm, I'm a 34-year-old single male. I'm not going to go have a child just because I want to go have one. I'm going to have a child, hopefully when I meet somebody, and we're serious. I'm, he doesn't mean to, if you're uh, an adult and you're capable of having them, just go start having them. Of course not. I'm not going to go out and knock somebody up just for the heck of it. If I if I have intercourse with another woman and I have it, of course I'm not going to have an abortion. I would never do that. But also what he means is, is when adults are in the right situation and have done or are in a situation to take care of a family, instead of opting for dogs and cats or pets, they should consider bringing in a child. When I was an Uber driver in San Francisco, there was just so many times when people would get in my car, you can tell they're between the ages of 28 and 32, and they would say something like, I don't know if I want to bring my child into this world while there is so much going on and there's global warming and there's racism. And my response to them is, can you imagine a black lady in 1932 who already had one or two kids said, you know what? I don't know if I want to bring a child into this world. If she actually said that, you know, I don't want to bring a child into this world. I'm African-American and this world is racist. There's segregation. And I don't know if I want to bring my child into this world. We wouldn't have a Martin Luther King Jr. If, if at that time when we were racism was a lot worse than it is today. We wouldn't have probably a Rosa Parks. We wouldn't, maybe we wouldn't have a Michael Jordan. Maybe we wouldn't have a Clarence Thomas. Maybe some liberals would like that, but maybe we wouldn't have a Clarence Thomas. We need to have children because we need those children to create better things than what we have now. There is somebody who was not born today that in the next 25 to 30 years is likely to create something we don't even know we need. There's somebody not born today that may grow up to be a great teacher who may grow up to solve something that we can't solve right now. So for once, being the head of the Catholic Church, what Pope Francis is saying, I agree with him. That means, also, he's saying this is, is being responsible. As, as I was saying earlier, being a single 34-year-old male, I'm not just going to go knock somebody up, but if I meet somebody and we get serious and it's time to choose between do I want to have a child or do I want to have a pet, of course I want to choose a child if I can bring them in and I can support them and we're responsible about it. This encapsulates families that are capable of having children and capable of taking care of these children, we should either have a family or go adopt children that actually need a family. Lastly, there's one thing I do want to end on. One of the things I do want to end on is, is I'm walking here in Sacramento at the state capitol the other day, and within a block, I'm, I'm, I'm walking in front of the state capitol on my lunch, and I'm walking with my head down, and the top of my eyes, what catches my attention, I see 
somebody what looks like shorts on. They look like they were wearing clothes that you'd see in 90-degree weather. It's currently 60 degrees in Sacramento and cold. I look up, and the person's not wearing shorts. He's just only wearing underwear. And he's homeless, and he doesn't look like he's showered in like a month. And you can tell that the individual is on whatever he's on. Heroin, meth, whatever he's on. And I felt for the person. As I look down, there's another individual. This is about 1.30 in the afternoon. Sleeping in a sleeping bag on bricks. And it's not that comfortable. It's not comfortable where they were sleeping. And then I had to step over at the same time. There was somebody kneel like uh, Indian style, sitting Indian style. That's not culturally progressive, is it? Can I say that? Am I going to get canceled for saying sitting Indian style? I don't know. I hope not. Sitting Indian style, trying to light whatever drugs they had. All of this in like not even 15 seconds in front of the Capitol where, where the legislature is and making rules and everything. And I had to think, you know... I have not seen a Republican majority within miles of Sacramento in years since before my mother was born, I think. Everything that you see, you can't blame Republicans. You can't blame any Republican policy because no Republican policy will make it out of a meeting before it gets to the floor to be voted on. If you're a liberal voter, look around. Go drive around. You see tents. You see an increase of tents from five, eight years ago. Five, eight years ago. Gas is extraordinarily high. Try renting a room here in Sacramento. Try buying stuff at the grocery store that you're used to buying. Not a Republican in sight. So I, I honestly have to ask liberals out there. Look around here in California. Ask yourself, has your liberal progressive policies made California better or worse? Because if I had to guess, the problems that we see now, liberal progressives are only going to double down on their crap policies. You, the voter, can change that and stop voting for liberal progressives. Guys, thanks so much for tuning in. I'm Ray Perez, and that's on my mind.